0: Um, for the opportunity to share the pulpit and to be able to just uh, share what God has laid on our hearts to share with you, but my wife and I have been here since last Wednesday in the United States. Um, we spent some time with our son and his wife in Pensacola. Uh, we have two grandchildren, and then we had we were therefore revealed gender revealed. You know the thing that they do now that most of us never did before. And um, so we're having another grandson. So we are grateful to the Lord for that. And we came to Chattanooga mainly uh, to be, celebrate with the organization that um, Pastor Dave and Sister Vicki used to work with over the years, CMA, Caribbean Ministry Association. They've been cel- they celebrated 20 years on Tuesday past. And so we as one of their missionaries came in to share in that wonderful experience. And um, we thank God that we're able to spend time with our friends, the Hawkins, have time of fellowship, laughter, and just to enjoy one another's company. Now, I'm going to tell you one thing. I'm not enjoying your weather. I wish I had brought some of the Bahamian weather with you. I think it's probably about 80 now in the Bahamas. But uh, we're good to be here, my wife, Bridget, and I. And so we are grateful to the Lord for this wonderful opportunity. Now, I'm a, little, um, I'm a little nervous when I say that. I'm used to speaking like this, but some years ago when I first started in the ministry, I went over to an evangelist who became my mentor in the Bahamas and we would go to the different islands. And every now and then he would let me preach. And um, I would see him sitting in the front bench or the second bench with his notepad. And then when we got back to the apartment where we were staying, and we had a little time to relax ourselves. He would take out the notepad and say, Now, you said this, you said that. You should have said this, you should have said that. And so as I looked down at Dave today, I said, Well, one I'm going to go to, I see him experience because he's one of my mentors and teaching when I went to the CMA course. And so I'm going to try, first of all, to glorify God and our uh, proclaiming of his word, but with a, also with a consciousness. That my teacher is sitting in the audience as well. And so, turn with me in your Bibles to the Book of Psalms, Psalm three, the Psalm eight verses. Psalm three. When you get it, say Amen. You know, that's light. Pages are still turning. Did you all grow up at Bible drills like we did in the Bahamas? First one, find the passage. Psalm 8, sorry, Psalm 3. Uh, and I want to read the introduction of the psalm. It says, Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. Lord, how are they increased that troubled me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many that be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in the Lord or in God. Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah, I laid me down and slept. I awake, for the Lord sustaineth me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. That have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all thine enemies or mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord, thy blessing is upon uh, thy people. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord, the Lord a blessing to the reading of his holy and precious word. Amen. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. May I say that which only you have ordained me to say, and may I refrain from saying that which is not of thine. Undertake for this word. Encourage our hearts. Be glorified in the midst of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Bible declares in the book of Job, chapter 14, and verse 1, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. If anyone outside of Job epitomizes that verse is David, All you and I need to do is take a panoramic view of David's life and we will see that he was a man whose life was full of trouble in the few days that he lived. The Bible tells us that while he was taking care of his father's sheep, he testified before King Saul that he had to fight off bears and lions to be able to protect his father's property. The Bible tells us that David had the opportunity when Israel was afraid of a man by the name of Goliath, who some say was between 9 to 10 feet tall, that David took up the the challenge and walked out before this man, this giant of a man, and and, and slayed him. The Bible tells us that after that experience, Saul enlisted him into the armies, and David went out from time to time, and he brought back victories upon victories for the nation of Israel and for his king. On one occasion when they were coming back from one of the victories, people came out the the city came out in with excitement and they began to to praise the army. And they said this, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul did not take too kindly to that. And so as a result, he thought he saw David as a rival to his rulership to his throne, and he was after David. He sought to kill David. And so for years, David had to run from Saul from one place to another. He was like a nomad living in the wilderness, uh, running for his life from day to day. And so David knew it was to live a life of hardship, a life that was of deprivation. He knew that. Then God gave him the victory. God uh, gave him the victory, and he ascended to the throne of Israel. He became king. He was King David. And you would think that all of his troubles were behind him, but not so. David, the Bible tells us, when kings should go out to war, He sent his generals to go and fight, and he stayed behind. And as a result of that experience, he came out on his veranda. He came out uh, of his room, and he's overlooking Jerusalem. And there was a young lady who was bathing beneath. And the Bible says he saw her. And it didn't just mean he looked. He saw her. And he called for her. And we know the story. He committed uh, adultery with Bathsheba. And in turn, uh, her husband came back. He refused to go in and sleep with his wife because he wouldn't do that while his fellow soldiers were out there fighting. And David arranged for Uriah to be killed. And God said to him, because you did this, the sword will not depart from your house. And we see things happening in David's line. David's son, one of his sons, raped his stepsister, Amnon, the sister Tamar was the sister of Absalom. And David did nothing about it and Absalom said, if you're not going to do anything about it, I will. And Absalom had Amnon killed. And he fled for his life. And so we see David's life. A life that was filled with many incidents. Good, bad, difficult, the trials of life. But when we come to Psalms 3, it gives us an insight into how David had to handle a particular incident in his life. An incident that was life or death. You see, David's son, the same son, Absalom, decided to rebel against his father. To pull a coup, as we would say. And David had to flee for his life. He had to run. And the question that you need to ask, you and I need to ask ourselves: how did David deal with this situation? And how can you and I deal with the myriads of issues that you and I face in our lives? I believe Psalm 3 has answer for us, for you and for me. You and I face difficulties, we face trials, we face troubles every day. And maybe some of you have come here today with a heavy heart as the pastor Jeff prayed in his, uh, prayed in his prayer. We all are like Job, man that was born of woman a few days and full of trouble. We face every day. But I've come to remind you that God is our salvation. That God is your deliverer and my deliverer. Verse 8 says it, salvation belongeth unto the Lord. And so I want to share with you this morning on the theme, God is my salvation. And I want you to say that with me. I want you to, to grasp that concept and that principle that God is your salvation. Salvation belongeth to the Lord. It says salvation belongs to him. And that word salvation means deliverance. you and I must understand that if it belongs to him, if saving and deliverance belongs to God, that he is our salvation. Tell it with me, God is, God is. My, salvation. my salvation. Now convince me again, God is, God is. My, salvation. my salvation. And so let's look at this text. First of all, note with me the conspiracy against David in this text. Note as we read through the text the conspirator, the main conspirator of this conspiracy. The context of this psalm is stated at the very beginning. It states, the psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. That's the context of the psalm. That takes us to 2 Samuel chapter 15 to chapter 18. It is said that Absalom stole the heart of the men of Israel. And his purpose in stealing the heart of the men of Israel was to rebel against his father and rule in his place. When Absalom came back from uh, exile, David refused to see him. And finally, Joab arranged for him to be reconciled to his father. And so when, uh, when that happened, he came into Jerusalem uh, for four years. He would meet men and others at the gate when they came to to, to, to receive rulings and uh, get, their, get their problems solved by the king, he would greet them and shake their hands. And when they would go to bow to him, he said, no, get up. And he would embrace them. And for four years, he ingratiated himself to those who came for help and said to them, if I was a prince over all of this, if I was a judge, I would judge rightly. And over a four-year period, he began and he won the hearts of the people from the sweet psalms of Israel, and so Absalom, along with one of David's most closest advisors, Ahitophel, arranged a coup to overthrow David. It is said that Absalom, as you read uh, those passages in Second Samuel uh, chapter Second Samuel chapter fifteen, chapter seventeen, said to King David, "I need to go to Hebron." And I, and I promised the Lord that if you had brought me back and I was restored, that I would come and make, uh, I would do worship, I would do an offering. And David said, go ahead. And when he did that, when he got there, he called for the men of Israel to come and join him and felt, and it was noised about that. Absalom was rebelling against his father. And David had to run for his life. He had to flee. He had to run during the night. David didn't have a hint. It seemingly came out of nowhere. And he realized if he did not run, he would be killed and the rest of his whole soul with it. Isn't that just like life? The things happen that you and I weren't looking or expecting to happen? That difficulties and trials come out of nowhere. That's what life, that's, that, that, that is life. It happens. You and I know that. And maybe someone is here going through something I did not expect to happen this week or this weekend. You're going about your business and suddenly tragedy strikes. You find yourself out of a job. One of your children gets into the, in the problems. All this stuff happens. And it seems as if life is conspiring against us and the question is what do we do when this stuff happens what when this stuff happens it shows what you and I are made of and who we are trusting or leaning on to bring us through And so we see this conspiracy against David and the main conspirator is his own son And so when we look at verse 2, verse 1 and 2, we see the complaint of David in the midst of all of this. Listen to what the passage says. Lord, how are they increased that that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. You see that word, Selah, really... Interpreters and commentators really guess on what it means. Most say it means the pause. It means the singing, you pause and like an instrument or a, a, a pause there and the singing is a pause. And they say that it's an emphasis, it's emphatic. David's been emphatic here he was, when, he, when he makes this, this saying. But he complains about the superior number of the enemy. Lord, and we see a parallelism here. He, he repeats the same thing. Twice in and two different ways. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. You go back to Second Samuel chapter fifteen and verse twelve, the Bible says and Absalom sent for Hit for a hit of the Goliath, David's counselor from his city, even from Gilob. While he offered sacrifice, and the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. There came a messenger to David saying, the heart of the men of Israel are after Absalom. Most of the country had turned on David, led by his son. He is on the run with his household, with just about 600 of his most trusted men. Note the text. David said, Lord, how are they increased that troubled me? The word trouble literally means narrow. In other words, David saw himself between a rock and a hard place. He was in distress. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt pressed in because of one situation or another? Maybe that's where you are this morning. You feel like you are between a rock and a hard place that this situation or this situation is so overwhelming. David said, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? And then knowing that he complained about the superior number of the enemy, he complained about what was being said by the enemy. Look at verse 2. Many there be which say of my soul, There is no help for him in God, Selah. There were those who were taunting him by saying, There is no help for him in God. The word help here is the same word in verse 8. It means salvation, means deliverance. They were saying, David, God has rejected you. David, your kingdom reign is over. There is no deliverance for you. It's over. And when you read 2 Samuel chapter 16, you get that idea from one of King Saul's family member. His name was Shimei in chapter 16, verse 7 of 2 Samuel. This is what Shimei said. He came out to taunt David. And it says, And thus said Shimei, when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord to turn upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord had delivered the kingdom into the hands of Absalom thy son. That's what he's saying. It's over. There's no deliverance. Absalom is now king. Thou art taken in thy mischief because thou art a bloody man. He's saying loosely to David, it's over. God has forsaken you. God has rejected you. No help is on the way. You ever felt like that? That you are out on the ship, just just drifting, and you are lost in life. That things are happening around you and it seems as if God is deaf. That there is no help. There is no rescue. There is no brothers or sisters who are swooping down to assist you. Help. Lord, why aren't you hearing me? That's the way David felt. And that's what the people say, David, God has abandoned you. It's over. And maybe the mess that you are in, someone might say, the mess you are in, God can't even help you. Have anybody ever said that to you? And maybe you felt that. Maybe you said, Lord, where are you? Why aren't you helping me? And that's happened. And you and I, you know the reality. We have complained to God. I know I have. Lord, where are you? I need your help. I'm seemed like a pelican in the wilderness. And maybe that's the way you feel. And we murmur and we complain. And so we see David in the psalm. At the very outset, man that was born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He is in trouble. Are you in trouble today? Are there things going on in your life that you need God to come to your rescue, that you need deliverance from? But thank God, when we get to verse 3, the whole mood, the atmosphere of the psalm changes. It changes. We move from looking at a conspirator and complaining David and a murmuring David and upset David to a confident David. Verse 3 says, and, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of my head. David takes his eyes off the rebels and sets it squarely on the Lord. He remembers who God is to him. And as a result of that, it brought confidence to his heart. And the verse outlines for us exactly what was God to him. David says, God was his shield. God was his protector in the midst of all that he was going through and experiencing. Yes, he had to run for his life, but even in that, God was preserving and keeping him. Because when David and those flee fleed from the son Absalom, when Absalom came into Jerusalem, Ahithophel said, This is a good time to flee after David. Give me 12,000 men. And I will go and just snuff him and all those who are with him out. And everyone said, good idea. But then Absalom said, let me hear from Hushai. Hushai was one of David's men who David left behind to be able to send word to him to let him know what was going on. And they said, Hushai, what do you think? He said, no, don't do that. Don't do that because you know your father, he's a warrior, and those men who are with him, his mighty men, they will take you all out with no, in no time. Why don't you wait and call all of Israel together and then pursue David?" And the Bible says everyone agreed that's a better idea. God was David's shield, using Hush, um, Hushai in that matter. David, God was his protector. And maybe, as David wrote this, he remembered how God protected him from the lion and the bear. How God protected him from Goliath. How God had protected him from King Saul. And now here he is running from his own son for his very life. And so his heart was boosted by the fact that God was his shield. I don't know what you might be going through or what might be ahead of you or what you might go through in the future, but I have stopped by this morning to remind you that while you are in the thick of the battle, please remember that our great God is your shield. He is your shield. He is your protector. He is your rare God. He is behind you, beside you, before you, above you, and even more importantly, he is in you. He is in you. He's your shield. And so David said, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. You are a shield. And this wasn't a prayer. David was asking God to fulfill. God, he said, Lord, please be my shield. No, this wasn't a prayer of David. Uh, He was asking God to fulfill. This is a strong declaration of fact. You are my shield. You are my protector. You are a shield for me. Not only was God his shield, God was the source of his glory. David said in this psalm, But thou, O Lord, a shield for me, my glory. There was nothing glorious or head lifting in David's circumstances, but there was in his God. Some people find glory in their positions, their power, their possessions, their prestige, but David said God was his glory. One commentator by the name of William McDonald puts it this way, As David's glory, the Lord gives him honor and dignity and vindication in the place of shame, reproach, and slander that were being heaped upon him. When God is for you, no man can be against you. In the midst of your situation, don't forget who is your glory, the one who will give you honor and dignity in the midst of what you're going through, the one who will strengthen you, who will revive you, David says, God, you are my glory. And then he says, you are my security. You are the lifter up of my head. Those words express restoration to his rightful position. David says, I might be in the wilderness now, but I am going to be back where I'm supposed to be. It's amazing. You remember some years ago, when you were in the wilderness or in darkness, you were going through a situation, and you thought, how am I going to get out of that? Look where you are now. God restored. God lifted you. He brought you out. He restored you. And David had that faith in God to be able to do that. He knew that God was the lifter up, the restorer, the one who takes people who have fallen who go through trials and difficulties, that God could secure him. He's the lifter up of his head, and God will be the lifter up of your head if you trust him, if I trust him. He will restore us to the place we ought to be even when we falter, even when we fall, even when we go through trials, even when we go to the valley of the shadow of death. God is the lifter up of our heads. And so we see the the conspiracy against David. We see the complaint of David, the confidence of David. We go to verse 4, we see the cry of David. The Bible says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hills. Selah. You notice how after declaring his confidence in God, he demonstrates that confidence by praying, by casting all of his cares upon God. He says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. The request of David, he cried. The idea, the word there for cry after the idea of accosting someone, going up to them and grabbing them by the collar, and David gets it up in God's face. Have you ever had to do that? If you ever just, God... He goes to the Lord, the self existent and eternal God. And he says, he cried with my voice. It means to call aloud. David didn't just pray in his heart. He didn't just move his lips. He called aloud. There were times when you and I go into our closet and we do whisper. But there were times where things are so difficult and so hard that we have to lift our voices and cry out. David knew just who you could cast all of his cares upon. Do you know? That's the question. Do you know who you can cast your cares upon? Or even a greater question is, do you cast your cares on him? Are you asking? Am I asking? Are you seeking? Am I seeking? Are you knocking? Am I knocking? David cried out. He prayed. And when he did, note the response of God in the end of verse 4. And he heard me out of his holy hill. The word heard means to eye or to heed. That is, pay attention. By implication, God responded. Now, we don't know if God sent a messenger or God spoke directly to his heart. But David knew God heard him. He knew that God heard him from his holy hill. Hill, from between the cherubims, but God heard him. The Bible tells us God air is open to the cry of his children. The Bible declares, and even though God says it in connection of Israel and in that context, I think that there's still application for you and I as well. Call upon me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not of. Our problem is we don't call, we don't cry, we don't pray. The scripture says that Elijah was a man of like passion as we are, but he prayed. He prayed that it would not rain, and it didn't. He prayed that it would rain, and it did. Hannah prayed in her heart, and the Lord heard her prayer, and the Lord will hear your cry. You he will hear my cry, no matter what our situation, our circumstances might be. David was, uh, was fleeing for his life. And maybe you think you are fighting for your life. Cry out. God is waiting to hear from you. And so David cried. He prayed. The Bible says the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much problem the reason why we don't see much happening is because we don't pray we don't pray and so we see the cry of David in the midst of all of this and then we see the comfort of David verse 5 and 6 I laid me down and slept I awaked but the Lord was sustained me I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me Round about. Abel was able to find comfort in his situation because God heard him. There's nothing like knowing that God is on your side, that God is working on your behalf. He said, God heard me. And this comfort was seen in his ability to, first of all, lay down and sleep. Lay down and sleep. Sleep is a blessing. And someone like me who hardly sleep at all, I understand that. David was under intense pressure. His life was being threatened. The life of his family was being threatened. He could have lost his kingdom because of the rebellion of his son, Absalom. And so you would think it would be impossible for him to sleep, but the Bible says He said, I laid me down and I slept. Why? Because he knew that God had him, that God had all the situation in control. And you and I need to understand that everything is under the preview of God. No matter what you are going through, God is still sovereign and everything is under his control. And so David, when when he heard from God, he said, well, God got this. I can sleep. And it says, I awoke. (laughs) Waking was another blessing, someone said, because many wondered if David would live to see another day. And David saw both of these things as a blessing from God. Why? Why? Why was David able to sleep and awake? Because he said, the Lord sustained me. The Lord propped me up. The Lord uphold me. He was able to lean upon God. Who are you leaning on? What are you leaning on? Maybe that's the problem. Because we're not leaning on the one true God, our Savior, the one who is our salvation. And when we don't lean on him, then we crumble. Then we fall apart. We need to lean. God is the one who sustains us no matter what we go through. David said, God sustains. It's amazing someone has said, you are asleep, unconscious, dead to the world, yet you breathe, your heart pumps, your organ operates, the same God who sustains us in our sleep will sustain us in our difficulties. He did it for David. He can do it for you. He can do it for me. He will sustain you. And David says, God is sustaining me, and as a result, no matter who comes, no matter if 10,000 come against me, I will not be afraid. If 10,000 came, I will not be afraid of them that have set themselves against me, who have encircled me, who have lined up to fight me. He would say, I will not be afraid. He could stand against any foe. He did against Goliath. He did against the lion and the bear. He did against King Saul for years. The same God that, that sustained him then will sustain him now. The same God that sustained you through the difficulties of the past, He has not changed. His power is not being diminished. And I quoted this earlier, but David knew this truth before the New Testament. If God is for us, who can be against us? Even if there's 10,000 people, individuals, who can be against us? And so we see David's comfort. Hey, I can sleep. God is sovereign and in control. I can go to sleep. I will awake and everything is going to be all right. No matter who comes against me, no problem. But then David anticipates the complete deliverance. And so we see the complete deliverance of David in verse 7 of this passage. And arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Arise, O Lord. This phrase is mentioned for the first time in Numbers chapter 10, verse 35. When Moses uh, uh, was arousing the children of Israel, it says, And it came to pass when the ark set forth that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord. And let thine enemies be scattered. Let them that hate thee flee before thee. Moses used this phrase, as the children of Israel broke camp in the wilderness. It's a military phrase calling on God to go forth to fight, to both defend Israel and to lead them to victory. David says, Arise, O Lord, for you have struck all my enemies. Now, again, in the, in the tenses, excuse me, he says, you have struck. David was looking back again. <laughs> he was looking back and saw what God did. And one of, the, one of the wonderful things that you and I should do as Christians, when we get into problems here, we can look back on the history and we can see what our God has done in the past. And if he did it in the past, he could do it in the present and in the future. The brother in our church that, sing, that usually sing a song every now and then called "He Can Do It Again." He can do it again, and so David says in the psalm, "Arise, O Lord, save me." First of all, he 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 he's calling on God to save him, give him the victory, protect him. But David isn't only just looking at God to save him; he's looking at God to give him. Victory to survive the threat to his kingdom. He says, God, thou thou hast sorry, arise, O Lord, save me, O God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone, thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. This whole idea of breaking the teeth of the ungodly is also mentioned in the book of Psalm chapter 58 and verse 6 when he talks about breaking the teeth of the ungodly but also breaking the teeth of the lion. The idea is if you break the teeth of the lion, the lion can't devour you. You remove all of his power. That's what David is asking God. Remove his power. Remove the ability to overcome me. asking God to cause him to be totally victorious, to deliver, give him complete deliverance. And God is able to do that for you in your situation. Again, and you may wonder why you keep going back, because I think it's important. Think about how he delivered you in the past. That's what David, David keep referring back to. And that's what motivated him, enabled him to trust God Experience because he knew what God could do. Save me, oh my God. And so he was trusting God to save him. That's what David was doing. And he was looking on what God had done in the past. What God had done in the past gave David confidence of what the Lord would do for him today. Thank God. Thank God complete deliverance. David was trusting God for what are you trusting him for? What am I trusting him for? And then he closes out the psalm. We see the confession of David. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy People, Again, emphatic, Selah, salvation belongs to you. There's no doubt about it. Let's pause and meditate and think about that. Salvation belongs to the Lord. David Gisek in his commentary made some astute observation about this verse, and I want to just share as I close. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. David understood that salvation, both in the ultimate and immediate sense, was God's property. It isn't the property of any one nation or sect, but of God. To be saved, one must deal with the Lord himself. Unquote. See, David understood this. You go back to 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 25. When David was leaving the city... The priest, the high priest and the priest were following him with the Ark of the Covenant. And this is what David said to them. And the, Lord, and the king said unto Zadok, carry back the Ark of God into the city. If I shall find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me again and show me both it and his habitation. David understood that God was his salvation. If God wanted to bring him back so he can be able to come before the tabernacle, before the Ark of the Covenant and worship, God would have to do that. Don't bring the Ark of the Covenant to follow me. In God's providence, if it's His will, He will bring me back because salvation belongs to who? God. David understood that. And then He says, Your blessing is upon your people. Again, David Giesek says, this shows David's heart in a time of personal calamity. He wasn't only concerned for God's hand upon himself, but upon all God's people. He didn't pray for preservation and victory in the trials with Absalom just for his own sake, but because it was best for the nation. Imagine what would have happened if Absalom was victorious and he ruled in Israel. Remember now, this is the deceiver. He's, he, he, he deceived his father. He rebelled against his father. What type of king would he have made? That, would have, that can show you what type of king he would have been. It would have been a disaster. And David recognized that. And he said, God's people are blessed because, God, you are not going to allow that to happen. You see, when God brings deliverance, it's not only personal, but in many instances, it's communal. What do I mean by that? Imagine a father being in prison for something he did not do. He was innocent. Imagine how that would affect his wife and his children. That would be devastating. But if he is released and found innocent, not only would he be rejoicing, who else would be rejoicing? his wife, and his children. Because, yes, he was the one incarcerated, but they all were delivered because daddy and the beloved husband is back home. He's back home. And that's how David saw it. Because God would allow him to have complete victory, Israel would be blessed. God was a blessing. And so we see the conspiracy against David. The complaint of David, the confidence of David, the cry of David, the comfort of David, the complete deliverance of David, and the confession of David. The Lord takes David from conspiracy to confession. He took him from anxiety to confidence, from doubt to complete deliverance. I don't know who am I speaking to this morning, what you are going through, or what you might be heading into, But I've come to remind you that God is your salvation. Not that he could be or should be or might be. He is your salvation. David experienced that salvation. And that same salvation is available for you and for me today. If we are willing to cast all our cares upon him, If we are willing to look to the hills for men's cometh our help and recognize that our help cometh from the Lord. If we are willing to say from a surrendered heart, Lord, you are my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart should not fear. Though war should rise against me. In this will I put my confidence in what? That God is our light and is our salvation. God is. Father, may these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight and may your people afresh grasp the thought that you are our salvation. And may that be an encouragement and, a stre- and strengthening of anyone he- here who might be struggling with any situation and circumstances in their life. They realize that as you brought David through, you will bring them through as well. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you, brother, for that word. That's amazing. And I think that that uh, ties into the next portion of our service in a wonderful way. The reason David could trust that God would give him victory over Goliath was because he remembered what God had done for him as a shepherd. He knew that he could give him victory over Absalom because he remembered that God had given him victory over Saul. And Jesus said... When you take eat this bread and drink this wine, do it in remembrance of me. And that's uh, he, he quoted this: "If God is for us, who can be against us?" In the very next verse, "He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things?" So for every issue we run into in life, it it all points back to this body and this blood shed for us, broken for us. That is our victory. Everything in the future is sealed because of the victory purchased by Christ's blood. So if you would, during this time, uh, go ahead and um, if you are in the household of God, if you have trusted in Christ Jesus as your Savior, as your victory and your shield, uh, then this communion is for you. Uh, if if you haven't trusted in him we ask that you would just uh, abstain until until that time uh, but you can go ahead and come up during this time and grab uh, one of these cups it has both the the bread and and the juice and then go back to your seat and we'll we'll partake of it together so you you can go ahead and start coming up now i don't know if we have any musical interlude or <laughs>